I'm Jim Collison, and live from the Gallup campus here in Omaha, Nebraska, this is Gallup's Call to Coach, recorded on April 3rd, 2015. Call to Coach is a resource for those who want to help others discover and use their strengths. We have Gallup experts and independent strengths coaches share tactics, insights, and strategies to help coaches maximize the talent of individuals teams and organizations around the world. If you have questions during this webcast, we do have a live chat room that's available for you. Right below the main video window, actually everything on that, if you go to coaching.gallup.com slash live, that is our live page, and the coaches blog, all kinds of ways to interact with us during this, So, and the instructions are there. If you're having any issues, it'll walk you through that there. Love to have you join us uh, during it. If you do have any questions, or uh, questions about custom coaching strengths, uh, cu custom coaching strength solutions. There we go. For small, medium, and large organizations, you can contact. Send us an email, coaching at gallup.com, or use the contact. Uh, there's a contact form right there on the page at coaching.gallup.com. And of course, don't forget to visit the Gallup Strength Center. Super easy to remember. Just gallupstrengthcenter.com for all your coaching resources and and training needs. You can also catch the video in both streaming and downloadable audio for offline listening. Many of you are starting to do that now capturing the time in the car, on a train, or in a plane uh, by listening to these programs, uh, record the recorded versions of them on your phone. Uh, all of that is available at the coach's blog, coaching.gallup.com. Heather Wright is our host today. She works as a senior learning and development consultant here uh, with Gallup on the Riverfront. And uh, Heather, great to see you on another Call to Coach, and, uh, and welcome. Glad to be here, Jim. And I am really excited about our guest today. Jim, you'll have to confirm for me. I think this is our first repeat guest on Called to Coach. We've had Paul Allen on twice, but oh, okay. uh, Shane, you're the first to come. You're the first non-Paul Allen person. <laughs> <laughs> so that is great. That the demand is high for Shane to be with us today. And um, just by means of introduction, you know, in in your introduction, Jim, you talked about Called to Coach is really a resource for people that want to help others discover and make the most of, of their strengths. Um, I think about Shane being the, resor the resource to those um, who really at, at a 30,000 foot level is thinking about important things in the strengths journey. So Shane, Shane is a Gallup senior scientist. He is the research director at the Gallup Clifton's, or excuse me, at the Clifton Strengths Institute. Um, and I think some exciting news that is breaking in those areas um, will be really fun for us to share today. I always love hearing from Shane about the research that he's doing. I know our audience is always curious to know what your top five are. So Shane, if it's okay with you, I'll share your top five: futuristic, maximizer, arranger ideation and strategic are Shane's top five. And I think as you think about if you've read Make Hope Happen, if you've heard Shane speak before, um, one of the things I always think of when I think of you, Shane, is that you just have that deep embedded mission about helping people think about how investing in our future pays off in the here and now. Mm -hmm. um, and that's so important and, and so clear in how your strengths play out. So um, anxious to, to talk with you today and hear a little bit more about what you've been up to lately. So maybe maybe we start with the Clifton Strengths Institute and sure. there's some exciting things happening in that realm and maybe if you could tell us a little bit about that, that'd be a good place for us to start today. Sure, Heather and Jim. Thank you so much for having me back, guys. I, I really enjoy being here with you today. Um, looking forward to the chat. Um, 
the Clifton Strengths Institute is starting uh, a big collaboration, a partnership with the University of Nebraska Lincoln. And at the University of Nebraska Lincoln, we'll have one of the first physical strength centers on a college campus. So we'll actually have dedicated space um, to work with the college students in the business school at the University of Nebraska Lincoln, but across the campus. Um, and we'll be able to identify their strengths, but more importantly, as we all know, develop those talents across their four to six years on campus. Um, so we'll be working with them and it, it gives us just tons of opportunity to follow students long term um, from their first day on campus into their first job. Uh, and we hope to make sure that they have faculty and staff of all types who are giving them these strengths touches every, every semester. So that's the big news co coming out of the Strengths Institute and University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Cool. When you say strengths touch, what kinds of things would be considered a strengths touch for a student? Yeah, one thing that we encourage faculty to do, for example, is to um, have their assignments um, built around students' strengths. So in other words, when you have knowledge of your students' strengths and you have some core assignments that you want done, why not create multiple assignments and let students pick which assignments they want to complete based on what their strengths profile looks like. Mm -hmm. So if someone is futuristic, um, it, it makes sense that you would ask me to apply the concepts we've learned in class to some future business model or future uh, development strategy. Um, if someone has context, there may be more of a historical slant to explaining why something worked in the past and why it could work again. Um, so that would be a strengths touch, but also uh, the big the big opportunities come in the uh, career development centers on college campuses. Those those centers are, I think, number one, woefully understaffed, and number two, um, really not capitalizing on the strengths of their students. So that's not the case at Nebraska Lincoln. Fortunately, they're they're staffed up and they're ready to go and. I went to, uh, to visit the campus earlier this, this year, and it was Valentine's Day, so each, each career counselor had a heart um, on their door, but in the heart they had their top five strengths. So every career counselor knows their strengths, they're ready to serve students, uh, and make sure those, those strengths come to life as students are planning their career development. Mm -hmm. And is it an expectation that as, as these career counselors begin to help students think about where they're looking for jobs and who they might interview with, that, that they would begin to even ask students about their strengths and start to align those strengths even with the types of organizations that they're pursuing in their career search? Yeah, the first step is, is to really help students figure out what they do best, as you know. And then the second step is to find the businesses that can capitalize on those different types of strengths. So the internship placement opportunity is huge mm -hmm. on campuses. Um, every student wants an internship, every business wants an intern. Uh, so making sure that the match allows students to do more of what they do best is, is a wonderful opportunity um, for students in, in usually that sophomore, junior, or senior year. Um, the other thing I like to think about is just preparing students for the job interview. Um, so what's one of the most common questions students get when they're on a job interview? What are your strengths? Mm -hmm. um, and being able to tell a story about your top five, not necessarily just rattle off your top five, but being able to tell a story about 
being futuristic and maximizing and arranging. Um, doing those things can really help students get that second interview. We learned that some years back at Texas Tech University. Um, we were wondering if strengths uh, development was helping students, number one, land interviews for jobs, but number two, get those second interviews. And sure enough, the students that were more knowledgeable of their strengths and more committed to developing their own talent, uh, they were able to land second interviews with companies uh, better than the other folks. Very good, very good. So talk a little bit about what research are you most excited about today? What are you digging into that is energizing you and, and really kind of capturing your attention these days? I've been trying to get to know people who love their jobs mm -hmm. um, because I think the best career advice we can give others comes from people who have really figured out the whole job thing. People mm -hmm. who are not only engaged but take it to that next level and truly love their jobs. So we had a sample at Gallup of about 8,500 working Americans, and they were coming from all walks of life. And what I wondered is to what extent do those folks have both engagement and a very high sense of career well-being? So to what extent are they thriving in, in career or purpose well-being? And sure enough, um, that sense of engagement uh, was about 30% as it is with many of our samples. But when you add that layer of career or purpose well-being, it brings the number of people who love their jobs, so that's combined engagement and purpose well-being, down to 13%. So 13% of Americans really love their jobs. They're deeply committed to, involved with, enthusiastic, passionate about what they do. Um, so I've been studying those 13% to try to get a true sense of how to guide people, number one, to find the careers that they could love, and number two, to um, take a less than perfect job and try to work on perfecting it so that they can love it. Yeah. Doesn't that number, does the number surprise you? I mean, when I hear a number like 13% really love their jobs, to some extent that breaks my heart. It, I mean, it does break my heart. I mean, if you think about 87% being in, in that other category of, of not loving your job, and, you know, mm -hmm. there's a full range of people in that, that huge 87%. So right. fortunately, we know a lot of those folks, you know, are, are in like with their jobs. They're not right. in love with their jobs. Um, and a, a, some, a significant percentage of folks hate their jobs. Um, so, you know, I really struggled with this. I, I wanted to know who could I learn the most from? Mm -hmm. Could I learn the most from studying the people who hate their jobs? Or could I learn the most from people who's, who love their jobs? And, and learning you know, the valuable lesson from Don Clifton, study what is right with people, I decided to study the people who love their jobs. Yeah. Well, from one maximizer to another, I think that was the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> then there's the piece of me that says, okay, for those who are in like with their job, maybe they're not in love yet. Right. That gives me hope that the more we learn about those who really love their jobs, maybe we can help those that are in like repurpose that job so that it is the job that they're in love with. Exactly. Do you have strategies? I mean, tell me about what you're discovering. So as you talk to that 13%, um, I imagine that there's some patterns to who they are and what they do and how they've kind of found that right job. What are you discovering? Right. Well, there, there are a set of strategies I want to share with you. But first, two things that really jumped out when I, when I studied the, the sample itself. 
before I got to the interviews of people who love their jobs. Um, that in that big sample, what I found was that these people are off the charts in well-being. They are just mm -hmm. off the charts. So not just purpose or career well-being, but all types of well-being. They're thriving in a very real sense. Uh, mm -hmm. So one thing to know is that loving your job is critical to this sense of well-being that we're all pursuing. Uh, so it, it's, I wouldn't say it's a shortcut, but it certainly is a significant pathway. And the other thing I realized as I got into the interviews um, is that the, the, uh, the job you love is not necessarily the job you landed. So you can mm -hmm. land a good job, one that's you know, 30 to 40 hours a week and gives you a paycheck and some benefits and, and that kind of thing. But it doesn't necessarily exist as a, a job you love until you put your heart and soul into it. Um, so jobs you love are made, not found. You, uh -huh. you find a good job and then you, as the individual, you have to turn it into a job you love. So to dig into that well-being connection a little bit, I'm curious, it's, is it you know the chicken or the egg conversation? Is it people who have kind of well-being in all those areas tend to be able to, to create those jobs that they really love? Or is it really that career well-being, that purpose well-being, mm -hmm. um, finding that, that pathway that I'm passionate about and spending a majority of my time each day then carries over into those other aspects of well-being and makes me that thriving well-being individual? We're, we're looking into that question right now because I had the same question. Now, the data we do have to date suggests it's, it's the latter. So okay. it's, it's having that sense of purpose, well-being. Once you flip that switch, then you're able to get access to those other types of well-being more readily. So mm -hmm. it does appear that it's, it's the um, getting the job thing right is, is really necessary but not mm -hmm. sufficient to a high level of well-being. Um, now, I'm sure other people, you know, it's probably a both and. There are probably uh -huh. some people who have a high sense of well-being no matter what situation they're in um, and they can kind of manifest that well-being um, in a job they are, that's okay or one they love. But I really think it's more of having that sense of purpose, well-being, flipping that switch and then getting to that place where you have a high sense of well-being across your life. Very good. Very good. So you mentioned some strategies as, sure. as you dug deeper into interviewing these folks. Um, curious about how, how did we find these folks? How did you connect with them? Um, tell me a little bit about the interview process and some of the favorite people that you heard from in your interviews and, and what strategies emerged. Right, right. It's really been a snowball strategy, just putting the word out that I wanted to interview people who love their jobs. Uh -huh. um, so going beyond the data, um, our data is fantastic, but then these interviews, as you know, it's kind of data with a soul. So you, mm -hmm. you get to that next level of, of data mining. And, and I've been using a snowball strategy trying to find as many people as I could. So going from one person who loves their job to another person to another person to another person and interviewing these people um, in depth about how they got into the job they have that they love and then how, they, how it became a job that they loved. Um, and leaving myself, um, you know, creating some opportunities to, to discover new strategies along the way. Um, but five strategies emerged as I got into this. One was 
that all of these people are pretty good at taking the future for a test drive. Um, <laughs> so I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but taking the future for a test drive to trusting your gut. They were all really good at trusting their gut when it came to um, the good job and whether it could be a job they loved. Number three, this audience will love playing to your strengths. Um, so these folks are definitely committed to their strengths and committed to developing their strengths and, and really building their job around their number one talent, which I heard many, many times. Very um, good. Number th uh, four um, is job crafting, so shaping your job little by little over time. And number five, which is pretty timely given some research Gal just put out this week, is boss shopping. So uh -huh. looking for the right boss who can, who can nurture your talent and develop you over time. Absolutely. Do you want to give a little more detail about each of these strategies? I love, I love the, the titles of the strategies. Test driving our future. What's it mean when people test drive our future? What did those people who love their jobs do that really allowed them to test drive their future? Yeah, I found a little cluster of these people who love their jobs at, at a particular company. Um, it's a small company called Pennington and Company. And what they do is they are a fundraising consulting firm for fraternities and sororities around the country. Um, and um, what happened is, at this company, so uh, it was kind of an anomaly to find multiple people who love their jobs at this one place. But what, what I realized is that their boss had been pretty um, committed to helping them test drive their future. And what I mean by that is he has set up what he calls a dream program for his employees. He has about 80 employees. His name's Patrick Alderdice. And Patrick has about 80 employees. And he decided that, well, he noticed that when he hired some people into a good job, that they would stop dreaming about their overall life, that the good job was kind of the, um, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and they stopped dreaming as much as they were. So he said to folks, I'm going to give you 30 minutes of dream time every week. So every Friday from 8.30 to 9, he lets people test drive their future. And before that time, they have, to, as new employees during the onboarding process, they have to share the goals and dreams that they're working on in their lives with one person in the company who's kind of like an engagement manager, mm -hmm. but they call them a dream manager. So the dream manager is the person who collects the stories from all the employees um, about the dreams that they're pursuing. Uh, so you publicly commit to your dream, and then during the Friday session from 8.30 to 9 o'clock, everybody's working on their dream. And what's interesting is it doesn't have to be work-related. It can be about anything in your life. Um, right, right. So what happens, though, during that time is that these folks become more engaged with the company. They see themselves with the company for an extended period of time, not just a short stint. Um, they see the company as a place where your dreams can come alive. Um, and they also see themselves as moving um, vertically and horizontally within the company and taking up new positions that, that might be better for them in the near future. So Patrick's really been able to test drive the future um, for his 80 employees and now these employees are helping people in their friends and family circles test drive their futures. So it's really caught on and I think has been a critical um, aspect of their success at Pennington and Company. Oh, very cool. 
how neat to just be able to say, you know, to have that prompt to keep thinking, to keep considering, to keep applying yourself and seeing yourself on down the road instead of getting caught kind of in the day-to-day -day routine. I think that just elevates people's performance, I would think, too. That's well said, just elevates performance. He, Patrick said that since they started the program, they've seen engagement go up, productivity go up, and well-being go up. Wow. That's... That's an, an investment worth making, isn't it? Absolutely. And it reminds me of 10% time or 20% time at, at companies like um, Google did for a while. So you could work on any project you wanted um, mm -hmm. for a certain percentage of the week. Um, but it, it's a smaller version of that, obviously, but it's not tied to work time. So some right. people would, would squawk and say, hey, you're letting people goof off for 30 minutes. But in fact, what Patrick's finding is that it pays dividends to let people dream about their futures for 30 minutes a week. Mm -hmm. Shane, have you seen... Uh, sorry, Heather, real quick. Ahead. Shane, have you seen that book from Matthew Kelly called The Dream Manager? Are you familiar with that? That's, familiar with the book, yeah. Same. Actually, Phil Ruhlman bought that for me years ago when I first started here and had me read it. And it's exactly what you're talking about, an individual in the organization responsible for kind of getting to know people and their dreams and then driving them towards it, not not doing it for them, but right. coaching them along and giving them hope. And and he has some stories in the book of, of, of how that uh, how that plays out. So I put that link in chat if uh, folks want to take a peek at that book. I, I think it's a great it's a great strategy. It's it's one of the things that the folks who love their jobs, they're doing this for themselves, typically without a dream manager. Um, but what if what if you you are choosing between two different jobs and one job says, hey, we have a dream manager here to, to give you that hope and encouragement. And the other job is equal in many ways, but you don't have that dream time. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a way for, for people to sort between two jobs um, or change the job they currently have. Very neat. Well, I just love it because you do. You think about having that dream time can create you know, opportunities for innovation, whether it be personal innovation or productive you know, mm -hmm. professional innovation, but that even if I'm dreaming about the personal side, it inspires my productivity professionally because I need that to be able to help me achieve my dreams personally. So absolutely, they're and, so and intertwined. Really demonstrates the caring and love of the organization that I'm in if I'm being encouraged to really take care of my world that way. Which is at the heart of engagement. So mm -hmm. yeah, you get you get to a lot of positive results through a very simple strategy. I was reading um, an article, Jim, Jim Clifton was part of a, a panel recently, Virgin Disruptors, mm. um, and he was you know, talking about one of the things that we really care about. We don't care so much at Gallup if people are satisfied, but we care that people feel like individually they're being developed. Mm. And, and this dream manager idea is very much that caring personally developing people kind of leadership that so many organizations are lacking, that, mm -hmm. that we just know that link to engagement is so important. Absolutely. What about the next strategy, trusting our gut? Yeah, trusting our gut. That, that strategy summarizes, I, I think, all of behavioral economics, which is hard to do. But essentially, you know, we have this intuitive side of ourselves that we don't really nurture as much as we should. But it gives, mm -hmm. us, it gives us so much information every day. Um, so if you were, let's say, seeking a job um, and trusting your gut, 
then your your interviews with other people should be interviews of other people. So too often, and, and going back to Nebraska Lincoln, these students who are going out into the job force for the first time, um, one thing I want to instill in them is and encourage them to do is make sure that they're interviewing the boss when they're interviewed in a humble, respectful way, but finding out, could I work for you? Can I, are you going to be the kind of manager that develops me? And time and time again, the stories of people who love their jobs, um, you know, that just, that just comes through. Um, they just, they say, oh, I knew right off the bat that I could work for this person. I could work mm -hmm. with these people. I could, I could develop and grow alongside these people. Um, so that intuitive, that instinct um, needs to be time tested and, and, and improved upon because it certainly is something that, that helps us kind of navigate different jobs. But one simple tactic under that umbrella of trusting your gut um, I call spin versus send. Um, and you can imagine, um, you know, in our daily workings with other people, we have the opportunity to spend face-to-face -face time with other people, with coworkers, or send an email, a text, um, something like that. Um, and what, what I've learned from these people who love their jobs is they're very strategic about who they spend time with versus who they send stuff to. So they are surrounded in, in a very, um, very complete way, surrounded by people who care about their well-being. So mm -hmm. these people who have trusted their gut develop this, this posse of sorts, and they're surrounded by people who care about their well-being, and they spend a lot of time with those folks face-to-face. -face. What they do with the folks who don't give them the warm fuzzies is that they, they attend the meetings they need to attend with them, but beyond that, they send a lot of email and texts to those people. Mm -hmm. So they manage their everyday emotions by managing their everyday interactions um, mm -hmm. and spend more time with the people who love and care about them and send more data the, the way of email and texting to the people who, who may not be so invested in them. It's good for all of us to learn from. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so a lot of us listening today are curious about the strengths component. Mm -hmm. Obviously we would make that assumption that focusing on strengths is a huge part of what makes people love their job. But talk about any anecdotes that, that you found in the interviews with those who are the the biggest job lovers. Yeah, yeah. The the one that stands out is actually the first person I met in my life who loved his job. Um, and he pursued his top his job before there was a Clifton Strengths Finder. So um, I would say today he has uh, Relator in a big way. Um, but what his boss said back in the 70s at a regional airline, so this is my Uncle Ray. Um, my Uncle Ray is, is kind of the, the, the patient zero of this love my job work that I'm doing. <laughs> um, and what his boss said to him is that, Ray, you're a people soother. You huh. soothe people you can build a job around that no matter where you go. And my uncle took that to heart. He, he said, okay, now I know what I'm good at. So wherever he went, he decided, I'm a people soother. I'm going to make other people comfortable in stressful situations. So that's what he was good at as a customer services agent at a regional airlines. But when that airline folded, he moved to another state, took any job because he knew he, he wanted 
the right job, started looking for the right job in the travel industry, um, and landed a job at a travel agency. So he switched from the airlines to the travel agency side of things. Um, and in his interview, he said to, to the owner, he said, I'm a people soother, and I can help people look past the hassles of everyday travel to, to really come up with a trip of their dreams. Um, mm. And he got the job based on that talent, um, demonstrated that talent again and again, and became a vice president of the company and you know one of the highest grossing travel agents in America. Wow. Um, just did amazing work. So what I hear again and again, and, and it's a play on what we, we all do with folks, but um, I hear people doing more of what they do right, of course, but really it's building the job around a number one talent. Mm -hmm. So we get in pretty deep with top five and top 10 and theme dynamics. And, um, but what folks who love their job tell me is that um, they really try to become known for something, and usually it's that number one talent that, that drives them. Oh, that is so cool. How lucky for Uncle Ray that he had that manager in his life that really gave him that feedback in that direction. I mean, it just really reemphasizes how important having a the right manager can be to a person in their development and their career. Absolutely. It made the difference in his life. It did. And it makes me think, too, as you talk about him being able to have that language of, I'm a people soother. Um, a lot of our coaches use different tools if they've been through our co coaching curriculum, like the theme insight cards or theme descriptions. Mm -hmm. And I love when we do kind of the play on words and we give people, you know, beyond being able to say, and this even goes back to your idea about, you know, with the Clifton Strengths Institute, for students to be able to in an interview situation talk about and tell their story of their strengths. I love the idea of giving people a diverse language around their talent. So you just don't say I'm a maximizer, I'm a this, I'm a that. That that we give people lots of language to use to explain and describe and tell the story of their talent. Even as succinctly as I'm a people soother, that's, that's really succinct language, but it does. It tells a story about how he applies that talent within the relator, you know? I think that's a critical developmental step. It really is going from understanding the word to understanding the story mm -hmm. behind your talent. And I think what you guys do with Theme Thursday and, and, and all the resources certainly helps with that. I was at Kansas State University a couple of weeks back now, um, and I had a group of students, and they were student leaders who wanted to learn more about their strengths. Mm -hmm. So we did a whole lot of things to prime them and, and coach them up. Um, but really the, the most fun and productive point was um, getting them in, in pairs and helping them develop stories about their strengths that they could use in job interviews. And it was timely because the, um, uh, the jobs people were on campus the next day. Career day was the next day. Okay. So we really got folks telling these dynamic stories of what they do best and you could just see them come to life. I mean, sitting up in their chair and just coming to life um, when they were telling these stories. I think if, gosh, if we could do that with, with the Uncle Ray's, you know, the, the young employees, and if mm -hmm. we could do that with college students who are yet to go out into the world of work, um, then we're just equipping them to, um, with a couple of chapters that they can use and then they can just mm -hmm. add to those chapters over time. 
Well, and one of my colleagues has always said it's about giving people clarity and confidence. Mm -hmm. And boy, when you help those students craft those stories, it does. It just gives them clarity and confidence about who they are and how they can apply that. Absolutely. How fun. So what's job crafting? If, if I'm going to apply strategy number four yeah. to, to craft my job so it becomes the job I love, what did yeah. you hear from, from those job lovers? Well, really, this is kind of like the guerrilla tactic of, of the bunch because it's the one that you sh should be doing when no one else is looking. Uh, you should do as much of it as you can without getting fired. Um, you know, you can shape your own job right there with, with no one's permission. Um, and what people are doing, it's very simple. So um, lots of folks told me about this reordering strategy. So what they do with their day is that um, and some people did it one way and some people did it another way. But what they did with their day is some people put their grunt work, their challenging, soul-sucking work toward the beginning of the day um, and knocked it out early while they were freshly caffeinated. Um, and then the rest of the day they were able to work on more engaging tasks and spend more time with the people that cared about them. Other people did exactly the reverse. They did the energizing, engaging tasks early in the day and then they were able to do the challenging work, the, the more labor intensive or, or the more um, people intensive, depending on the people involved, uh, kind of work later in the day. So job crafting is really about reordering uh, the way you spend your time, reordering who you spend your time with, and then knocking out the tasks that you have, but also getting new and different tasks. So uh, there was one person at Gallup, Brad Chancellor, who, who mentioned this in a throw-off kind of comment one time. He said, um, you know, at his old place of work, they had um, a task swap um, party every uh -huh. now and then. And I found this to be true among some of the people who love their jobs, that they will go to other people and they'll say, well, here's some things I have to do, but I know you really love doing them. This is more about your strengths than mine. And you're doing some things that I like to do. Can we swap tasks? And then within the flexibility of the company, and that all depends on how much autonomy and flexibility you have, but within the flexibility of the company, they were able to swap tasks, tasks and nice. do each other's jobs for the sake of engagement. So job crafting is really, like I said, that kind of guerrilla strategy, that the stuff you do to kind of nibble at your job, shape your job, mold your job, so that every day it becomes more yours and less this arbitrary thing that you show up and do. It becomes mm -hmm. something you own rather than something um, you rent. So I, I ask people, when I'm talking about these different strategies, I ask people if they've ever... Um, rented a car and everybody will raise their hands they've all rented a car so usually in America about 99 people out of a hundred in an audience will raise their hands um, and then I ask people have you ever washed a rental car before you returned it <laughs> and usually out of 99 people maybe one will raise their hand and they'll have a, a very interesting story about <laughs> why they washed the rental car but it's it's usually just one percent or zero percent of folks, and what I tell people is that 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 renter's approach to a job leaves you treating the job in the same way, yeah. not taking care of it, not tending to it, not treating mm -hmm. it as as if you're your own, it's your own. If you have an owner's approach toward your job, 
then you're more likely to do the little things to take care of it and you're more likely to do the little things to shape it over time. Very cool. When I think our strengths coaches would all agree that you know when you think about that job crafting and how we align our day that using our strengths when we get to productively apply our strengths it brings us so much energy mm -hmm. and so if you kind of shape the day so you know when you're gonna need your energy and then you get to do the things you do best during those times that's that's very powerful absolutely and that's why these five strategies are not standalone they're inter yeah. interwoven so you're absolutely right you should be guiding um, you, you should be guiding your job crafting based on your strengths to mm -hmm. some extent um, and you should be looking for a manager looking for the right boss based on your talents um, and you should be doing all that based on where you want to go in the future so mm -hmm. all of these strategies are kind of interwoven and, and should be used um, simultaneously in a sense so big one for Gallup this week, boss shopping. Yeah. Um, Gallup published this week the State of the American Manager Report. Um, we just know so much from our data around engagement, how important a boss is to my own engagement. Mm -hmm. um, so talk about boss shopping. That seems to me like it's a critical strategy on many levels. Yeah, and it can start before you have your first job so we should be teaching young people you know you should be teaching your kids and I should be teaching my kid how to do this even for internships and and yeah. part-time jobs um, but then our college students should really know how to do this um, as we know and, and stop me at any point if I misquote a statistic but I think one in ten manage one in ten people have that natural God-given ability to be a great manager Right. Um, so when we when we think about that, um, that one in ten uh, of the folks out there have that ability, we have to search really hard. We have to look really, really hard for those folks. And I believe it's 35% of existing managers today are actually engaged in their jobs. That's right. So at the very least, yeah. we have to find that one in three um, people who are are managers at this current point who are engaged in their job. They may not have all the talent they need, but at least they're engaged in their job. So what I encourage people to do is, again, kind of go back and trust your gut, um, know what your strengths are, and think about who in your company might be the best manager for you. Mm -hmm. And it may not be the person you're currently working for. And uh -huh. then set a course toward that person and figure out how can you go from point A where you are right now to point B working for that person's team and I've talked to to one person who waited two and a half years wow. yeah two and a half years she decided I'm going to work for this person because she's going to be the best manager for me and every now and then a position would come up and she'd apply and she wouldn't get the the transfer and another position would come up and she'd apply and then finally she got the job under this new manager and I asked her I said was it worth the wait she goes absolutely Wow. absolutely so this is another stealthy technique you know because sometimes you you're gonna have to locate that manager that that is best for you and wait for a while to to get to that person but in other situations you don't you may switch from office A to office B because mm -hmm. Office B has the better manager and you have to maybe drive five more minutes across town but Office B is who you should be with. The manager of mm -hmm. Office B might get you. 
Um, it might be going from the, um, the morning shift to the evening shift for some people. So you might sacrifice a little bit of sleep and a change in schedule to work for someone who really gets you. And, and a great manager not only gets who you are now, but also develops you into the person you can be. Right. So they, they, right. they really stand by the person you are and understand you as a human being, but then they're pushing you. And what's interesting, I, I found this, and, and stop me at any point, Heather, but um, okay. Gallup did this, this wonderful research breaking down you know, what a great manager is. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Google did a project called Project Oxygen. Project Oxygen to find who are the, the best managers at Google and what are some of their strategies? What do they do best? And it's really startling to look at how much overlap exists between what Gallup found and what Google found. Mm -hmm. um, so it is all about someone understanding who you are, promoting your growth, holding your feet to the fire, having uh -huh. your back. Those kinds of things are That's common among great managers. Did, your, did the folks you interview have any strategies about how they could make that assessment of who the right manager was for them? Did you have any kind of clarity around how'd they figure that out you yeah. know, beyond kind of likability or, or you know, I, I admire them from a distance. How did they really assess who the right manager for them might be? Yeah, and that's where, you know, teaching folks how to do this, it, it's all about having the right questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so having the right questions. But I worked with, I interviewed one woman named um, Mary and Mary was looking for a great principal. So she's a teacher. She was looking for a great principal and her two criteria um, were what I mentioned a little bit earlier. Number one, does she understand who I am today? Mm -hmm. And number two, does she really, is she really willing to push me to develop into a master teacher? Mm -hmm. So those two things, those two things were at the heart of, of her assessment. Um, so if you feel as though someone really understands who you are today, and that's a big issue. I mean, understands right. that um, in Mary's case, you know, she was a young teacher, um, and then she was a mom. She was a young teacher with kids, and then her life changed in many ways. Did, did her boss understand who she was at that point, but at, at the same time never give up on making her a master teacher. So those are the two things, you know, understanding who you are today and having a real commitment to who you can be in the future. You know, if you can kind of develop a, a, almost an interview around those right. two issues, then you can get, you can get closer to yeah. the, uh, the, the boss who will be right for you. That's what I'm thinking. Very fun. Okay, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I find it very fascinating and very <laughs> energizing. I'm guessing we have some questions, Jim. Anybody? Yeah, uh, a few the that here? are out there. And actually, uh, you guys have done it. This has been some great content. And if you're listening to this and you're not sharing this with your friends and your neighbors, you're crazy. So make sure <laughs> we've got all the different ways to share the content you just heard uh, available to you, whether YouTube or download or stream, all those are available. Check out the coaches blog, coaching.gallup.com. But uh, Shane Marine had asked a question about going back to your UNL work or how are you linking hope to that? Is there a specific tie and can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, what we found again and again is the more you do what you do best, the more hope you have. Mm -hmm. um, so it's crucial to get students doing more of what they do best because 
that increase in hope is also plays a big role in students graduating and graduating on time. Um, so we want students to graduate in four years, and we we say that, and people are like, well, why couldn't couldn't they just you know soak up even more during their fifth or sixth year? But at the same time, they soak up more student debt during the fifth and sixth year. So the hope piece um, really comes alive, you know, as we do strengths development well. Um, but I, yeah, I would love to work with students around um, their career development plans and some student success plans that build in hope um, into, into the model um, of the work we're doing there. And they have a great honors program at uh, the UNL Business School. Um, so hopefully we'll be, you know, infusing hope there. And then finally, we're working on a, a Gallup College Student Survey, which has hope as a component of it. Um, so I think UNL will partake in that, but I know other universities already are completing this Gallup College Survey um, and really looking at the hope of, of their students. Um, just one school in particular, Chafee Community College um, in, in uh, uh, Rancho Cucamongo, California, that's hard to say, um, <laughs> but their, their whole um, mantra is hope, engage, succeed. Um, so not only do they measure hope and engagement of their students, but they aim that hope and engagement at success. So we hope to do more of that work at UNL as well. If there were people who said, hey, I want a partnership like this, or how do I get, from a university standpoint, how do we get this going at our school, what's your recommendation? What's the right contact point for them to get with us so we can begin a process like that? Boy, that's a good question because we're, we're kind of in the infancy of launching this first one. Um, I would say a couple of things. Um, number one, um, assemble your, your crew of strengths evangelists on a campus first. Mm -hmm. Do that first. So have some organized body that says, that can say to the contact point, hey, look at us. We, we've got a bunch of really cool stuff going on. We just need to take it to that next level. Um, and then at that point, Jim, I, I'm happy to be the conduit for now. Uh, just Shane at strengths.org. You can send that out, Shane at strengths.org. But if you believe you have a campus that's ready um, to take it to this, those next steps, I can put you in touch with someone from Gallup who can help, help you do that. Um, and it might involve some training or a course for a certain group of people on campus. Um, or it might be more appropriate to talk to the Clifton Strengths Institute folks. Um, whereby, you know, that we can talk about um, some accelerants, some, some, some ways to get you to that next step. Um, so just have them email me, but really what I found works the best is you put together your strengths evangelists on a campus, come up with a, a group that's talking to each other on a regular basis, and then come to us with that question of, hey, can you help us to next? That's a great answer. And there's a resurgence of Strengths Quest, right? That's kind of our strengths uh, uh, product or work designed for high school and college students. Right. Uh, there's a renewed surge of that going on here at Gallup as we, through our e-commerce division, as we begin to reach out to schools. A great way to start as well. We've got some products around um, that to help you out. Shane, um, when we think about what we're doing here in the in the universities and such, how do you plan, or what's the tie-in with the Gallup-Purdue Index, which kind of measures this engagement on the way out? How are you tied into that, or are you, or are there plans for that as well? Well, you're asking the good, hard questions. Uh, with the, the Gallup-Purdue Index, there are these six 
um, experiences um, that we we measure um, in the alumni of different colleges. Um, so really, we measure whether folks have good jobs and great lives. I mean, that's what we measure overall. Um, but as part of that, um, as part of those alumni surveys, we're asking people whether they had these deep, engaging learning experiences and whether they were supported in a deep, meaningful way by faculty and staff. Um, and that's where strengths and hope, I think, really come into play. So whether you have these deep, engaging learning experiences or whether you're imported, uh, supported by faculty and staff uh, is determined by the extent to which you're allowed to do what you do best and pursue the future that gets you really excited. Um, so when I think about the Gallup-Purdue Index, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a huge fan and I think every college and university should subscribe to it. Um, what it tells us is, is the extent to which um, colleges are getting it right. So the extent to which colleges are having positive, uh, positive effects on people's lives post-college. Um, so I certainly believe that, that strengths is a big part of it, and I'd love for us to see the, a deeper tie. I think the closest we've come to date is at George Mason University, where they're doing strengths on the campus in a big way, um, and they're also doing um, a Gallup-Purdue uh, index, and they're trying to figure out how those two jibe. Um, but what's interesting, I'm going back to K-State, because when I was there talking about strengths, I mentioned the Gallup-Purdue Index, and they're like, whoa, whoa, tell me more about this. You know, so I'll be summarizing the results of that Gallup-Purdue Index, the national version, uh, for a group of four or 500 academic advisors, um, and helping them understand what those magic six experiences are for students. Very cool. And if individuals want to get access to that report, really just Google Gallup Purdue Index. It'll bring it right up. Click that link. You can put some information and request that report back uh, on that. We also talked about the State of the American Manager, and that report, that's actually that's hot off the presses this week. I mean, that went right. live like yesterday. So if you want to get access to that same idea, just go to Google, uh, uh, Google that Gallup State of the American Manager. And um, and that will you'll be able to pull that up and get access to that report as well. So I think some great tools coming out. We'll try to make those available in the show notes. You might have uh, better luck just googling that as well. So some, some hard questions for you there, Shane. You did very very well in handling <laughs> all those uh, as well. As we uh, Heather, as we kind of uh, we're, we're we're running short on time here, but as we bring this in for landing, Shane, anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to highlight? Maybe that's out there that you can do here in just in, in the last few minutes. Well, I did want to say, and Jim, you, you'll know this better than I, we're at more than 11 million strengths finders, is that right? Yeah, 11.6, 11.7, something like that. Yeah. Okay, just to let you know how much you know traction we've had on college campuses, I think we've had over 2 million plus. I think it was Scott Wright that brought, us to a, brought that to our attention. 2 million plus of those strengths finders were taken through uh, StrengthsQuest, the StrengthsQuest portal. So... Um, What's amazing is that close to 20% of, of the awareness of talent is happening on college campuses around the world. Um, and that is pretty much America-based. Um, so mm -hmm. while StrengthsFinder is, is, is global in so many, so many ways, there aren't many quote-unquote college experiences that are strengths-based outside of America. So mm -hmm. I know we do have some folks uh, listening internationally 
that is one place that I think we can make a, a really big advance um, is starting strengths development programs on college campuses across the world um, and learning from what we hope to be a wonderful strengths lab at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So as we learn and grow at University of Nebraska-Lincoln through Clifton Strengths Institute, hopefully I can come back and share some ideas with folks um, who can go to their alma maters and say, let's develop a strengths development program for, for our students. Love it, love it. Well, Shane, you are always a fantastic guest, and, and you will be probably our first three-time uh, three, three guest. <laughs> yes, because, you know, it just every time I listen to you, I, I feel my hope elevating. Um, I get great ideas. It, it inspires me to take ownership for, for my future and for my strengths. Um, if folks want to follow you on Twitter, I know your handle is Hopemonger. Yep. So um, that's a great Twitter handle. So folks, you, you can tune in to Shane on Twitter. Um, gosh, I just really appreciate your sharing today and, and just some great, fun, interesting research that you're doing. And, and I just can't wait to see. Um, and, and your point about how much of our strengths database is you know, strengths quest, student focused, it, it makes all of us really take up the mantle of we have to, if, if these young people are really knowing their strengths and expecting more out of their employment mm -hmm. in the future, those of us embedded in organizations already have to really take a hold of that and create an environment where we can capture that best talent as it graduates from our colleges and universities around, around the globe. Great point. Great point. Thank you for having me, Heather. Thank you so much, Jim. You bet, Shane. Great, great having pleasure. you. It's always, uh, for me, you know, I do a lot of these, and yet as we get to the end, it's always exciting for me to see all of our pieces. When we, when we, we talked about strengths, but when we talk about Q12 and when we think about selection and when we think about bringing all those pieces together, as Jim Clifton would say, uh, to create this operating system for the world. Uh, of course, it gives me great hope, and so, Shane, I appreciate you doing it. It's always good. We could probably go on for another hour, so I'll have to have you back in, uh, in a couple more months and, and catch right. up with you. Thanks for doing that. We want to remind everyone to take full advantage of all the resources we have available for you. You can start at the Gallup Strength Center, so just gallupstrengthcenter.com. Send us your questions or comments. If you want to, if you got some of these, an email address, Shane gave you his, but you can use ours too, coaching at gallup.com. Uh, send the questions in. We'll get those routed to the right person as well. You can also catch the recorded audio and video of this program. And this is one I really want you to share. So as this comes out, we want you to share this one. Uh, do that uh, via Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or whatever. Print it out. I don't care what it takes. Walk it over to somebody. Share this thing with them, and uh, we'd love you for, to have you do that. All the options to do that are on our coach's blog, coaching.gallup.com. If you have any technical questions, I don't give out my email very often. Actually, I do all the time. Jim underscore Collison at gallop.com. If you have trouble sharing this technically, I'm here to help you to uh, do that as well. Of course, we have new iPhone and Android apps available for you. Just search Strength Finder in either one of those stores, and they'll make those available to you. If you can't remember what your top five are, and a lot of people don't, if you've taken it, you can actually take the assessment on the phone as well now. That's available if you want to. Buy it, log in, take the assessment on the phone. It's available for you on mobile as well. We've got courses available if you're thinking about strengths coaching uh, or, or high performance management. Uh, we've got those courses available. They're avail available uh, on our lists at the Gallup Strength Center. So just head out there and look for our courses. And we want to thank everyone for joining us today. And if you enjoyed it, like I said, again, please share it. And we'll look forward to the next Call to Coach in two weeks. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>